How's it going, Jonathan Washburn? It is going great. Um, beautiful weather today here in Metro Ohio, a high of 75. I actually had to turn the heat on at the office today because it was a little bit chilly in here. So I thought, hey, winter is coming. This is wonderful. That's that, This is wonderful. That's so funny. I actually think, uh, I do think similarly when it comes to the end of a, of a season in the fall, usually work... Um, you work really hard, and, and though I'm not a farmer, fall, I love fall, to, to just enjoy the, the hard work that you did in the spring and summer. So I, I totally can agree with that. We're in the same sort of industry, and I can see that, um, yeah, when it cools down, it's a good thing. So um, it's, my, it's my favorite season of the year, easily. It's just like, it's jacket weather, right? I like wearing a light jacket. I don't like wearing a big coat, but a nice light jacket just brings me a lot of joy. Now, you're a golfer. Does that impede your game at all? Yeah, so I have a bunch of those nice, thin, like, pullovers that yeah. I wear um, in the fall. Um, that is that is the worst part about fall, that I know that golf season is almost over. So, um, but I am, I'm going to the Ryder Cup next week, which is super exciting. Um, for those of you that don't know, it is the one golf tournament where you're allowed to cheer when people do bad things, because... <laughs> We are cheering for America against Europe. So in a regular golf tournament, when Rory McIlroy misses a putt, everyone goes, oh, and golf claps. But now, next week, if Rory McIlroy misses a putt, we are all going to yell and scream and cheer and tell him that he stinks. It's going to be the best thing ever. I'm so excited for it. That is awesome. Now, do you get to sit kind of close or stand close to the uh, hole after, uh, you know, through the shots and you can, and he'll hear you or not that close? No, that's, that's actually the other cool thing about golf tournaments compared to regular sporting events. Um, regular sporting events are very elitist. Right? Okay. The richest people, the wealthiest people, the most powerful people always get better seats than the rest of us. But you can't really do that at a golf tournament. Everyone kind of pays the same general admission. And if I want to go to the 13th hole and sit on the front row and I get there first, nobody else can stop me no matter how much more they pay for their tickets to me. So it's always... a uh, a fun sort of like um, even playing field at a golf tournament. That is interesting. I love uh, I love to learn something new from you every day. So, um, all right. So we're gonna finish up Sabbatarianism. This will be Sabbatarianism number three. Uh, this was a topic that you had picked out uh, almost a month and a half ago, but yeah. uh, through some unforeseen and terrible circumstances, um, we uh, have finally made it here. So. Um, I am going to let you uh, summarize, if you will, uh, where you believe that we left off or just the high points of each other's point of view, and then we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Yeah, so there's, um, I think the first place I'd like to summarize is that not everybody that worships on Sunday does so for the same reason, Right. They're, they're kind of different groups. There are a lot of people out there that believe the Sabbath day and its principles still exist, but that they have simply been transferred to Sunday, right? That's a lot of people out there, a lot of American Christians, Christians all over the world would have that sort of view of the Sabbath. Um, that's actually not the view that I espouse. I actually believe that um, Sunday is, like an, is an entirely different day right? Um, it's, it's no longer the Sabbath. It is the Lord's day. And we as believers are to worship God every day, 
with our lives, right? But we meet together on Sundays because that is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and that is how the early church did it. So that's kind of like my position compared to other people that believe um, that Sunday we, we worship on Sunday because that's what the early church did, but we still carry over all the same principles of the Sabbath day, right? And then there would be Sabbatarians um, like yourself that would say, no, uh, the Sabbath is not just not just something that we do because it's in the Ten Commandments, but it's actually foundational, rooted in the creation week. And so, therefore, we worship Jesus. We worship the fact that he, he died and rose um, from the dead for us to save our sins. But we worship on Saturdays because Sabbath, the, the Sabbath day mandate in the Old Testament was never revoked, right? It was never taken away, so we should still do that. Um, and I've actually told this to several people. I actually believe that um, my camp and your camp are the two camps that actually make the most sense. Um, there, in, in my opinion, there either has to be some um, resounding sense of continuity, which is what um, Sabbatarians would argue, or I would say, no, 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 there is a pretty clear sense of discontinuity here, right? The middle ground is kind of like bits and pieces of both. I don't think it's very consistent. I don't think it makes much sense, right? So that's just like a summary of everything that we've discussed, um, kind of the three camps. I, I hope that I'm representing your position as fairly and as honestly as possible. I'm, I think I'm representing my position as fairly and honestly as possible. I don't think I'm changing anything or trying to be deceptive. But that's kind of where we've come and what's gotten us here to this point. Cool. Well, um, John, thank you for that. I will say, um, I'd like to ask, um, are you mentioning there are, I just spoke with someone yesterday about this, and he said that his pastor gave a message. He is a Wesleyan. Um, he said his pastor um, has said that the Sabbath is more of like, um, we enter into to Jesus's rest, and that the Sabbath day is no longer valid but when we become Christians, we become we enter into this this rest, if you will. Is that sort of the airy fairy like middle one that you're not talking about, or is that sort of what you're saying is your um, your definition in your camp? No, I, I so we have talked about that briefly on um, on previous podcasts. Um, so this idea of entering the Sabbath. Rest. So obviously the word Sabbath can mean different things in Scripture. Mm -hmm. It can either mean the specific seventh day of the week or Sabbath can actually just also mean rest. Yeah. Right? And so um, there is a passage you know, in the New Testament, uh, late in the New Testament. Um, uh, is it Hebrews or is it 1 Peter? Oh, no, yeah, Hebrews verse 4. Hebrews chapter 4, right? Um, and the writer of the book of Hebrews... If you think it's Paul, then it's Paul. If you think it's somebody else, it's somebody else. I have no opinion on who the writer of Hebrews is. I kind of hope that it's a woman, just because that would annoy a lot of people. But again, I have no, I have no opinion on who the writer of Hebrews is. Um, but the writer of Hebrews, in chapter 4, exhorts us all and tells us that we are able to enter into the Sabbath rest provided by Christ. So I would say that, yes, um, all believers that have 
to enter into a Sabbath rest that is provided by God. I don't necessarily think this particularly um, relates to our topic of conversation, because I think that you would say, well, yeah, I agree with that, right? All believers have entered into a Sabbath uh, rest yeah. with the Lord. I don't think that really should give us an answer, yay or nay, on which day should we worship, right? I would think that a Sabbatarian could say, yeah, we are all allowed and given the opportunity to enter into the Sabbath day of rest. Now let's talk about what day worship is to worship on, right? So I would say um, it, it often gets lumped in with this conversation just because it uses the same word, yeah. but I don't think it necessarily specifically gives an answer on what we are trying to say, other than, you know, I do believe that all Christians are to worship every day, right? And all Christians have this opportunity. We have been invited into God's Sabbath rest, this, this rest that is provided in Christ. Yeah. But you worship on Saturday, and you believe that, and I worship on Sunday, and I believe it. So... Yeah, that's what I would say. Okay, um, so uh, I would, um, I, I would say you're kind of right on on that uh, point, and that's you know when when I heard that, I've also I've heard it so many times, and then it, they tie it into it's like a tenth, and God requires a tenth, and it's not like your first tenth necessarily; it's just a tenth of your money, and it's like that's that's how God it's like one in seven, not the seventh day, and. That, to me, the argument is is um, what you were saying is the third camp of people who who think that Sunday is is now the new Saturday type thing, and it it, it doesn't even make sense. Um, so, one of the things that I wanted to to bring up was in Colossians two. I think that might have been one of the passages that you had brought up. It says two thirteen. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcised uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgotten, forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took a, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Um, then it's skipped down to 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are shadows of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so what I think is that that is a little bit misapplied, um, because it can't, it, it's not applied to the Ten Commandments. I think it, it, a lot of people, they do that. Um, because just for the enduring nature that, that the law was, was ingrained in stone and written by the finger of God and, and not the handwriting, which was against them. Um, now the Bible, I think is a consistent book and it has basically a respect of putting things together, fitting them together. Um, and it, it wouldn't make any sense to blot out something that was chiseled in stone. Um, neither would it be appropriate to put in there that the stone tablets were hammered to the cross, but the book that Moses wrote is something that you could, books have been burned that you could blot out on books. And so that's another point that I would, I would like to kind of put out there is that, um, I, I think this, this with, with your particular point of view, it's difficult to show the differences. And I think that's maybe where we would be the, having our disconnect would be because you have a belief that there's three, um, three laws that are one, the moral, civil, and, uh, ceremonial. Um, but 
my my thought process would be that you you couldn't have the civilization law until there was Israel and you couldn't have the ceremonial laws that weren't a shadow because the ceremonial was what pointed people to what Christ is in our walk at this point. Like, like it, it was not from the bulls, the blood of bulls and goats that sin was taken away. So there had to be some sort of a template that, that humans used. And that, that was something that could be taken away. People, um, that were not of the belief in God, if they did the ceremonies prior to, um, believing it would be foolishness. But if they saw the moral law back then, they would know that they were sinners and that they needed a savior. That it was all um, sort of like the moral law is, is across the board. No matter what country or nation you're from, that is something that is a standard. Um, you had mentioned God doesn't change. God is is always. And and my my thought was to you you have to tie the moral law to Christ's um, personality and character. Like those are one in the same. If you want to know what Christ is like, you have to look at the moral law. He would never cheat. He would never steal. He would never lie. That thing is enduring. That is the thing that never changes about God. It says that not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till a hall has been fulfilled. But yet we see that uh, not, not all has been fulfilled and the temple was rent and we, we no longer see sacrifices. So there was something that was ended, and we would say that that was a ceremonial. We can't live by the civil because we're not Jewish, but we absolutely could do the moral. And everybody, whether you're Chinese, Russian, or American, you could keep the moral. That's why I would say the strongest thought process that I would have to say that there are differences, and also the fact that when the law was given, it was given by God twice because he wrote it twice Moses was not allowed to give it and then he gave it verbally he didn't give the other laws verbally he had Moses transcribe them and write them down and once again after Christ comes you could get rid of the other two like if you tie in so like I said people will take the Sabbath days like well I don't have to worry about Sabbath anymore he says don't let anybody judge you on Sabbath days well what he's referring to is the Sabbath days is is tied into don't let anybody judge you in meat or drink or respect of a holy like he's talking about the festivals so if you decided to keep the festivals or if you decided to to not keep the festivals that's the Sabbath and you mentioned before that there are different Sabbaths there's the Sabbath and then there's Sabbath days rest days days that you you know we have holidays well, they call them holy days. And, you know, it's it's just, a, it's the same thing. It's just worded different. I think someone explained it to me once, uh, you know, the Hebrew had like 1,200 words or something like that. Like they, they have like 1,200 words and we have like 20,000 words, right? So we have a lot more words we can use to describe things. But I've been talking for a while. Um, what do you think? Yeah, so I would say a couple things. Um, the first thing I would say is, uh, I think I'm just going to interpret Colossians 2 a little bit different from you, right? You know, let no one man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Um, all of these things, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. I do believe um, that Paul, the writer of Colossians there, um, is talking about, you know, Yom Kippur, right? The Day of Atonement. Today. Which is today, right? Um, and 
I also do believe he's talking about Sabbaths as well. I don't think he's he's using the term Sabbath days as a descriptor of these holy days. I think he's also actually talking about the Sabbath days. We're probably going to disagree on that. That's okay. Um, the, the second thing I would say is um, I don't believe that there were three types three different types of laws. Okay. I believe that we have created three categories mm-hmm. for ease of understanding, mm-hmm. but the the Old Testament Jew um, and the Jew in the day of Jesus, I don't think he would have had any sort of um, separation in his mind of the Ten Commandments from the other 603 commandments that were part of the Torah, right? And I believe that God, if if there was an Old Testament Jew that had been able to keep all ten of the Ten Commandments perfectly for his entire life, but he shaved the corners of his beard, or he wore clothing with with more than one type of, of material, if he had broken one of the other 603 commandments, uh, I think that Paul tells us in Romans that if, if a man keeps the whole law but it offends in one point, he is guilty of all of it. So I, I believe the Old Testament Jew would not have had any idea, had, had, had any separation of these three types, moral, ceremonial, and civil. Those are the categories that we created after the fact. So that means that I believe that Jesus, when he came to fulfill the law, he fulfilled all of it. Not just the ceremonial and the civil, but all three of it. And then he comes and he gives, you know, we've talked about this, the law of Christ, which has a ton of overlap with the Old Testament moral law because God's morality doesn't change. I would also say, though, this. Um, I do not believe... So So let, let's say we're living in Old Testament Israel, right? Um, you and I are you know, Jews in 489 B.C., right? We're about to get... Uh, invaded and destroyed, but we haven't been invaded and destroyed yet. And let's say an Assyrian came into town and he he popped in to the um, temple one day to listen to what was going on, and he was like, "Wow, this this makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Yahweh, this God that you serve, I think he is the real God. I think he's the God that I want to serve." Um, what must I do to be, he wouldn't have said saved because we're in 489 BC, but what must I do to be, become one of you? Um, we, would have, we would not have told him, well, as long as you keep these 10 laws, you can ignore the other 603. We would have actually told him, if you want to be one of us, you can be, right? You're welcome to come in, but you now have to accept the entire Torah, the entire Mosaic law, right? You, you couldn't have just kept these 10 you would have had to keep all 613 um, and make sacrifices and, and do all the things that are that are necessary and are dictated for us to do as part of this uh, of this whole entire Torah, as far as this whole entire Mosaic Law. So I don't even think back then they would have viewed the Mosaic Law as special and superior to the rest of the Mosaic Law. I just I just don't see that in Scripture. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what is, that is what is, is um, informing my entire train of thought. That Jesus comes to fulfill the law, all of it, all 613, not just 603, but all 
613. Then he sets up a new law, the law of Christ, which has some considerable overlap, and we are to follow that. But we follow that because that's the law of Christ, not because it also happens to be um, in the part of the Ten Commandments. So, um, just so I'm clear, it the overlap is over every single thing except for Sabbath. Um, so, yeah, I would say I would say the majority of um, the moral law is 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 certainly reaffirmed in the New Testament. Um, Jesus himself summarized the entire law and the prophets with two laws, right? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself, right? But then what does he say after that? Yep. Right, on this hangs, right, everything. That, that's, that's a summary of, of everything. And if yeah. you see the law, the, the law of Christ, everything, um, every uh, you know command that is given to us in the law of Christ can either be placed under the, the heading of loving God with all thy heart, or um, loving others, right? Do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Yeah. Um, and we definitely see that uh, a, the early church worshipped corporately together, right? Acts 20 verse 7 says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break the bread, right? That's, that's the example that we see. Um, but I don't believe that it's a Sabbath anymore, that it is a day that we are commanded to rest and abstain from different things. Um, I, I believe it, this is the Lord's day that we get together to remember his resurrection, but we are worshiping God. We should be worshiping God you know, every day of the week. So um, a couple of things. Does it matter to you um, that the fact that Paul uses the, the term in a plural number and the connection, though, that he he tied Sabbaths, like Sabbath days and not the Sabbath. Does it matter to you that it was specific? And, you know, when Jesus says, you know, on this rock and then, and, or this pebble, you know, uh, talking to Peter, but on this rock is, is the church. Like it was very specific on what words he used. Does it matter to you that he used the, the plural of it specifically in conjunction with the others that he's not he's not referring to the seventh day. Um, no, that doesn't particularly bother me. Okay, I think I think a lot of what we see in the New Testament is, hey, this is what you did. Um, here's why it was done this way, and now you have the freedom to do this, which is oftentimes along the same lines as what we did back then, but it's not the same. So, for instance. I do not believe that tithing is a New Testament concept. I do believe that we are all called to give. We are called to give give to God before we give to anyone else. We are called to give God joyfully, generously, all of these different things. But I am not called as a New Testament Christian to give 33.3% of my income to the church in the same way that Old Testament Jews gave. 33%. Because they had three different tithes and a fourth tithe, which was a tenth, uh, which which was a third of a tithe, right? And so, because Old Testament Jews, a lot of their tithes were basically like taxes, right? 
you know, first of all, uh, this one tribe is not working. They don't have businesses. Their entire job is to take care of the temple. So we need one tithe to feed them, right? And then we need another tithe for this, and we need another tithe for this. And so there definitely were tithes in the Old Testament. But what do we see um, in giving in the New Testament? We see that we are called to give, that Christians do give, that they give joyfully, that they give to their own bodies. They sometimes, you know, the, the Christians in Macedonia gave out of their poverty to help Christians in other areas of the world, right? But I don't believe that God is up in heaven looking at, you know, your giving and my giving and saying, up oh, only 8.3% was given this week, was given this month. Not good enough. I'm not counting it, right? I don't believe that that is how he is is operating with our relationship with him anymore. We will have to to put that one in a different uh, episode then because I have actually, I've heard this kind of argument, but not with those points. So we'll we'll have to discuss it sometime. Um, Okay, so what I'd like to point out is the ordinances that we are supposed to um, observe that would commemorate the resurrection of Christ is baptism and the Lord's Supper. And my uh, line of thinking would be Christ, if, if you recall, when he was baptized, uh, you know, John said, you know, I'm not going to baptize you like you should be baptizing me. And he said, I'm doing this to, to fulfill all righteousness. So in, in that regard, when people say that Christ fulfilled, so I don't have to do, I look at it like, well, he fulfilled that, yet you still believe in baptism. And what I what I uh, correlate or what I kind of take thought of is um, if you are a Christian, you are Christ like. And so Christ did A, B, C. We should strive to do A, B, C and look out for things that he warned against, such as uh, for the traditions of men, you've forsaken the commandment of God. And if you look, there were all of these rules given to Jewish people that Christ was saying you, you're you're you should have you know not done this. Like you you should be taking care of your mother and father instead of saying you know oh well this is saved for the church. And like he said you know for the traditions of men you are forsaking the commandment of God. And and my I guess my uh, complete thought process on this is that it was such it was it was before sin even entered into the world and it was a, it was a complete day god set it apart when people say they are going to keep a day or they are not going to keep a day um it says you know uh, man esteems one day over another right that that's what and so don't let anybody judge you cuz man esteems one day over but but man can't make something holy so therefore you you can't tie that together like you could the Sabbath day, which was sanctified, which was set apart for holy use in, in Genesis. And what God does, he doesn't ever undo. There's no, there's no ever, there's not ever a, an instance where he's, he's declared something necessarily holy and that man could un, you know, make it unholy. Um, I would go back to the temple and you'd say the, the holy of holies, Right. Well, that temple curtain was rent and it was open and people could go in. So that would be one example 
of when something was sanctified and then it was not. But it was a pretty broad um, and open thing that he did that, right? Like everybody knew that that's, that that's what happened. There's no secret. In this instance, we'll go back to the Acts passage and we would read that differently because it, it said that they got together and they broke bread on the first day of the week. But it also says just just a little bit later in that chapter that they broke bread every day. And it was like their custom every day. So they didn't get together every day to have a communion. That that verse was not recommend, not referring to a communion service. It was just, that's what they did. Back then, when you are um, a weird one, you know, someone who was a Christian, you, you got together with your brothers and sisters. And, and that was another thing I, I wanted to, to touch on. It is likely that churches around Rome and Jerusalem gave up worshiping on Sabbath quicker than the other places because paganism came in and and people wanted to distance themselves from the Jews. And and so it became a status like to be a Christian was like a status thing after Constantine. So so that that certainly is true. Um, but not in the Bible, like the early church, like there's over like 70 mentions of, of keeping Sabbath and acts alone. And so like they were, they were preaching on that day. There, there's not one thing where it says that they changed then. Um, so that, that would be another point that I would like to say is that, uh, people kept the Sabbath even all the way up to 300 after Christ, because Constantine made a law in 300 that said Christians shouldn't idolize uh, on, on the Sabbath. And it says on the venerable day of the sun, like, like it was, it, it was for the sun worship, but they, they said that Christians shouldn't be idle. Well, you don't make a law unless there's a problem that you needed to snuff out. Does that make sense? So sort of like what we have going on right now with, with uh, a vaccine law, right? Like if everybody was vaccinated, they wouldn't make a new law saying that you have to be. But what we see is in 300 AD, they're making a law that Christians cannot be idle and, and, and enjoy a Sabbath. Gotcha. So I would say let's, let's talk about a couple big picture ideas here. Yeah. Um, number one, reading through the Gospels and Acts both can be challenging because sometimes things are descriptive and sometimes things are prescriptive, right? So sometimes thing, uh, the writer is simply describing something okay. that Jesus and his disciples did, right? And other times the writer is prescribing for us to do the same things that were being done, right? Okay. Um, so oftentimes... Uh, where uh, two Christians like us can come away disagreeing on a passage because I might think something is prescriptive while you just think it's descriptive, right? And um, it, that's, that's partially at play here. Secondly, adding to this challenge is the fact that Jesus, while he was alive, still kept the Mosaic Law, right? Jesus came and was a perfect man, a sinless man. He kept the Mosaic Law in its entirety, in its completeness, better than anyone else ever could, right? Um, that does not mean, though, that G 
Jesus kept the ceremonial laws. Jesus kept the civil laws. You know, he kept all 613 laws. Does that mean that because he kept all 613, I need to keep all 613? I don't, I don't think either of us would argue that. No. Right? Um, so, so Jesus did things that we do not have to do. All right? I think everyone would, everyone would agree with that because there is some sort of change from Old Testament Israel to the New Testament Christian. Right? One place that... You and I simply disagree on exactly how far this change extends, right? I'm saying it extends all over all 613. You're saying it's only 603, for instance, right? Um, but that is part of that is part of the of the difficulty. Uh, thank you, Terry, for listening to me all the time. That's part of the difficulty a lot of times in in, in reading uh, specifically the Gospels and Acts because we are going through this transitional period, right? Um, yes, definitely, the apostles still appear to have kept the Sabbath day, especially early on before Pentecost, right? Um, but, you know, there also seems to have been a transition along the line. But now, again, a lot of the apostles kept the Sabbath because they were still in Israel, and nothing was open on Sabbath, so they would keep the Sabbath, and then they'd go back to work on Sunday, like the rest of Israel, but they would meet together on Sunday evenings to worship because that's the day that Jesus rose, right? So there's a lot of stuff that I would argue in the book of Acts and in the epistles is actually prescriptive. It's saying, this is what the apostles did, and we should do it too. And you're arguing, no, that may be what the apostles did, but we're not prescribed to do that. That's just describing something that they did. Right, so that's where you and I are simply going to have a different interpretation sure. of of that. I would argue, though, that um, I think this was a lot more pervasive early on than Constantine. Right, you know, we read we read other church writings like the Didache, which was an explanation of all of the different things that um, the early church did, and almost universally. The early church started worshiping on Sunday in the first century AD. They seemed to read the book of Acts. They seemed to listen to Paul, to Peter, to James, and they seemed to believe that they were being prescribed to worship on Sunday. They still kept the Sabbath because what else was there to do in Jerusalem on a Sabbath in November in 37 AD. There was nothing to do. Everything was closed. So, of course, they kept the Sabbath. And they're also not necessarily out there trying to just, you know, tick off all of their Jewish friends and family members. But they specifically set aside their one day to break bread on, um, and, meaning take the Lord's Supper, uh, on Sunday nights. Um, and, and this was, you know, this was the tradition of the early church. And, and what I say there might give some people hesitation. Oh, tradition? What are we, like Catholic? Are we elevating tradition to the level of Scripture? No, no, no. This is a tradition which is cited in Scripture multiple times that we see in Scripture, that we see the apostles implementing. And so it, it, it can be tough to, you know, I'm arguing it's prescriptive, and you're arguing, yeah, they did it. Like, you're not saying, no, they didn't do that on Sundays. You're just saying that that wasn't a prescriptive command for us to also follow. And yeah. That's kind of where I did. Yeah, I'm saying that when you see a communion service, I don't see a communion service. I see breaking a bread as um, they're hanging out, eating dinner. 
That's 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 what I read because just later in the same book, so it has to be by the same person. They describe it as the same thing, and you and I wouldn't have communion every night. We would have you know communion. We probably do it like once a quarter. Um, and growing up at a Baptist church, it was the same. You know, once a quarter is is how often that they did it. Um, but I would I would go back to uh, as well that um, it was such a big deal for the Sabbath, like like. The entire um, Old Testament is full of things where people were not keeping that day. And God punished them, you know, in captivities where they wouldn't rest for the, you know, they wouldn't, excuse me, let the land rest. So he put them in captivity and said, we're going to let the land rest because I told you to do this and you're not. And um, so I, I feel like it was such a big deal. And on top of it being a, a Ten Commandment. Uh, item, it would be something that would need to be very clear that it was being done away with, not something that could be filtered out unless you take something that is every, like, so for, for instance, everything that I believe that God did away with instantly happened at the cross. For instance, the ceremonial service instantly veil written, rent, no more sacrifices, were, were accepted after he died on the cross. So that was instant. That is why we also see he was baptized and that we have the Lord's Supper prior to his death, because we talked about this before, that a will and how it works is um, you have to do everything before you die, because once you die, it's done. And so everything that Christ did and exemplified is done prior to his death, and he can't change anything. And I would also just point to the fact that it's all overlapped. Um, we'll talk about tithing sometime, but uh, everything is overlapped. And I would just, I would actually just flat out ask you if you believed that, that the Sabbath was a commandment that we're supposed to keep, would you be inclined to keep it? Absolutely. And see that, that is why, we can have these conversations and, and friends of ours say that like, how can you do that? It's like, because in our heart, we are doing the best that we absolutely can for Christ, for Jesus. Like that is at our, at our core. What we want to do is, is live a life that he would be happy with. And, um, so it's, it's interesting. So anyway, um, no, I think, I think that's, I think that's really well stated. I hope that, um, those of us that are still around for part three, right? Those of our listeners that are still around for part three, when they hear you speak and when they hear me speak, I, I hope they understand that, um, I hope they wouldn't hear us trying to press our own desires into what we think scripture says, right? And I hope they wouldn't think, you know, I hope they don't hear Michael saying, because you haven't said this, well, John, you make some pretty good points. I think I agree with your interpretation, but I just want to work on set, work on worship on Saturday, right? That's not what's going on, right? Right. Um, God's word is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, I believe it is inspired. I believe it is inerrant. I believe it is authoritative on our lives, right? We both agree on all of those things, and now it comes time to interpret it, and that's hard, right? We are imperfect uh, humans that are believers, so we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but I do not believe that the Holy Spirit gives us knowledge, right? 
knowledge that we have. You know, I, I used to tell my students this though, right? If you go into a test having not studied and you pray, hey God, please help me pass this test, right? That prayer is meaningless. That prayer doesn't help you. He doesn't just like magically give you answers like some right. sort of wizard, right? However, if you studied a lot and you might pray, God, I'm really nervous and I have a lot of anxiety. Can you please calm my nerves and help me remember what I studied? That is a prayer that gets through the ceiling and actually, you know, reaches the Lord. Um, so that's what you and I are doing. Um, you know, I, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I think it's cool that as this conversation has progressed, we start seeing, hey, we should talk about time, right? Hey, we should talk about some of these other things because um, the, the general big picture perspective that I'm bringing, you know, the hermeneutic that I'm bringing to Scripture is is not just going to you know dictate how I feel about the Sabbath, right? That dictates how I feel about the whole Mosaic law, including tithes, right? You know, circumcision. Circumcision was a really, really big deal for some people. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, in the New Testament, we don't have to do that anymore, right? So there, there is some sort of change that happens. And we're kind of arguing how how far that change um, reaches, how much it covers, and we're we're I truly believe that we are disagreeing about the details while agreeing on you know the main ideas that we are sinners in need of a savior, that Christ has died for our sins, and we wholly believe and trust in God's word, which is inspired and errant and authoritative, and we happen to come to different views on that same inspired word sometimes. Well, I have uh, 100% appreciation for your time, thoughts, and inputs, insights. Uh, we're almost done, but I, I have one final question on that topic. Let's say, hypothetically, a figure who might even be Jesus looking himself, does miracles and everything. If he was to come to you personally and tell you, John... I'd like for you to start keeping Sunday as the new Sabbath. Would you believe that uh, to be true? or And would you start doing it? Uh, that is an interesting hypothetical. Um, I, my, well, be careful how to say this. I believe in a supernatural God. Okay. That can speak to people supernaturally, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you look at the Middle East, for instance, yeah, I think one third of all Muslims that are converting to Christianity will credit either a vision or a dream as part of the journey that brings them to Christ, right? Yeah, I want to say, I want to boldly say that I do believe that God can specially and supernaturally talk to people even today in 2021. I also want to say that we do have a more sure word even than that, which is the scripture that we have. Um, So any sign or vision that I may um, receive, I would need to be convinced that it matches up with what the scripture that the more sure word of prophecy that we already have yeah that, that it matches up with that um if i were convinced that this prophecy that this 
vision, I suppose, um, was from Jesus and that it aligned with what Scripture taught, um, I would obey it, I believe. Excuse me. So I, um, the reason I ask is because with every fiber of my being, believe that as we're going through right now with a mandate of being vaccinated is going to be pushed on pe- pushed on people. I believe that at one point in our future, maybe our future, but definitely in the future, uh, it will be mandated that we keep Sunday. And I believe with every fiber of my being that the devil will impersonate Christ and tell everyone that he changed the day. And if we aren't, I believe if, if you don't have the belief of, if you have that belief, but then you, you don't have the belief of a thus saith the Lord of keeping Sabbath and only the, the seventh day, you will just, you'll follow this figure that looks like Jesus that can do miracles. Just, we know he can. And in, in, in Exodus, they were able to throw their, their spears down or their, their staffs down and turn into snakes, just like Moses. You know, it looked identical. But we have to remember that the second coming is not going to, there's nothing after the second coming. Like, like once Jesus comes, the people that are righteous living go to heaven. The people who are righteous dead, they die. Or the righteous, the, the uh, unjust uh, living, they're, they're gone. And we'll, we'll, we'll explore this, you know, because we've kind of talked about it. But the second coming is very clear that when Christ actually comes the second time, that's the blessed hope, if you read, of the, the resurrection, you know, of being able to be with Christ. It's all over. So that's why I asked you, um, friend, because I, I think that that's coming. I think this this mandate that we're going through right now is is a stepping stone to make that happen, um, and to see where people are at. And so that's that's why I asked you is is that the Sabbath is not just a, a, a one of the ten for me. I believe it's the la- it's the last trial for for human for the human race to um, to figure out. So uh, we can go through all the other ten of how I feel like the devil has like you know. Murder is okay with abortion and, um, you know, idol worship is fine. So we take that out. We even have a show, American Idol. Like like all, every single law that God has, the devil has, you know, tried to get rid of. And I believe that the, the Sabbath, that will be the last one that he tries to take out. It's the only one, if you, if you look at the law, that's the only one that we would know is given by a, by a and the God. All the other ones are, they could be given by anybody, but it says worship him who created and in seven days, you know, and then rest. So it gives, it gives his mark of authority as to who the law is given by, right? Like if Poland makes a law, John Washburn doesn't have to deal with it. If Russia makes a law, you don't, you don't have to, but as a Christian, if God makes a law, then that is something that we both believe that we should adhere to. So. Anyway, I'm getting someone fussy right now, um, and we've we've actually covered I think all the ground that we're gonna at this point. Um, so um, it was fun. Thank you for your time on this topic and your information. You've you've definitely uh, been a great resource on this. I'm excited to go over more things with you. I love talking with you, and uh, I love talking theology. There's nothing more important that we could ever talk about. I agree. So, Thank you. Brother, talk to you later. Have a good one. Recording stopped.